Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi. I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast dedicated to helping you take back control of your mental health and life. In this episode, I interview my good friend and amazing GI doctor, Dr. Will Bolshevitz, on how more fiber can improve our mental and brain health. Dr. Will discusses his latest book, Fiber Fueled, share some great tips on how to heal our guts and digestion, how the gut and the brain are connected, how to navigate the complex world of wellness, how to start taking back control of your health, how plants can reduce inflammation and autoimmune issues, how to overcome food sensitivities, and so much more. Dr. Will is a microbiome specialist, speaker, and gut health educator. He is trained in internal medicine and gastroenterology and earned a Master's of Science in Clinical Investigation from Northwestern University. He has published over 20 scientific articles and is a sought-after speaker on all things related to gut health and digestion. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and find some answers and solutions to whatever you may be struggling with. During this crisis, it's especially important to pay attention to your mental health. And I want to make sure I am helping however I can. So send us any questions and concerns and follow me on social media to get daily mental health tips, techniques and strategies. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, please consider leaving a five-star review and keep sharing episodes with friends and family. Lastly, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast and what you are learning and loving. So keep sharing and keep tagging me. Now, on to today's episode. Dr. Will B, and I'm going to say Dr. Will B because I'm going to say your na- your last name wrong. So you're going to say that. Welcome into the studio. I love talking to you. You're amazing. Not only are you on my scientific advisory board, but you're a brilliant doctor. You're an epidemiologist, a GI guy, and you so much more. So please just introduce yourself to my audience and thank you for joining me today. I'm so excited to talk well, to you. Well, so first of all, Caroline, thank you so much for having me on. And it's always a pleasure to connect with you, whether we are talking about science and talking about you, the active clinical trials that you have going on supporting the books that you are writing. You're not just writing books. You're, just, you're not just making up ideas. You're actually backing it up with legitimate science. And that really, truly, I have to compliment you on that. Thank it you. separates you it separates you from 99.99% of other authors out there who are, mm-hmm. you know, they're more than happy to write the book, but they don't step up to the next level, which is to actually validate it in clinical study. Oh, thank you for that. That's very encouraging because clinical trials are very demanding. <laughs> they're extremely demanding. And, and there's a reason why most people are not doing it because it's a lot easier to just write the book and share your idea. And it's a lot harder to actually validate the idea. But I, I want people Thank at you. home to understand, and I, and I think this is important to say up front before I even talk about myself, you know, whether we're talking about your books, your science, your ideas, which you are in the process of clinically validating, or we're talking about my ideas, which are in my book, Fiber Fields, which we're going to talk about, which is backed up by 600 references that I make publicly available for completely free on my website, theplantfedgut.com. 
regardless of what we're talking about, I think Caroline, it's really important during this time mm-hmm. of misinformation that where people are just confused, it's important that mm-hmm. we celebrate and we elevate high quality, accurate information. Mm-hmm. So whether that is your book, whether that is this podcast, whether that is the reaction that people get from my book, which is completely backed up by science, mm-hmm. I think it's time for every single person to chip in and do their part to support the high quality information because that's how we help our friends mm-hmm. and our family find the truth among all the noise. I totally agree with you. That's so well said. So thank you for that. You know, we're both scientists and we're taking this head on, but we want to take science back to helping people improve how they function on every single level. That's really what it boils down to. Why why yeah. waste your time on writing books if you're not going to help people? That's exactly. Really- Exactly. No, that's so good. Tell them what you are. You're not only an epidemiologist, which I'm always boasting about that about you, and you're also a GI specialist. So Yeah. I, so hi, guys. I'm Dr. Will Bolsowitz. I'm a gastroenterologist in Charleston, South Carolina. I am a full-time gastroenterologist. That's what I do for a living. I see patients. I was seeing patients earlier today. And I also am someone with a background in epidemiology. So I did an epidemiology fellowship at the UNC Gilling School of Global Public Health, which is which is tied with Harvard as the number two. I mean, basically Hopkins, Harvard, and UNC are the top three schools of public health every year. It's just mm. kind of rotates with number one. And so I have this unique research background, but at the end of the day, I am, I am a doctor who cares about people. I care about my patients. And that compels me to do sometimes things that are kind of crazy that I regret doing, like trying to write a book in my free time. Uh, what or, free time? <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Five in the morning can become free time if you're willing to wake up early enough. Exactly. I mean, you've got two kids, like you've also got two young children. So yeah, you got to kind of yeah. work around them too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have to, you have to get creative in terms of where you can find the time to write a book. But, you know, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I guess the bottom line is that for me, I have this, you know, strong background in science, in taking care of patients who have GI issues, but I, really, Caroline, I don't know if you knew this mm-hmm. about me or not, the thing that transformed my life was being the person who was sick himself. Ah, tell us that story. Well, you know, I grew up in upstate New York. My parents are wonderful people. They were hardworking, but they were divorced. So my parents would be working when I came home from school. Mm. And I had two brothers and it was normal for us to play basketball and make hot dogs. (laughs) And and we did that every day. Mm-hmm. Hot dogs every every day. day. Yeah, Pro- processed meat on white processed bread, poison food. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that, and yet I loved it. I loved it. I was a connoisseur yeah. during that time in my life, and <laughs> so. But the problem is, that's the diet that I was raised on. It's the standard American diet, and yeah. years passed, and I got into my late twenties, early thirties, and this diet that you know, it's just the way I was raised. All of a sudden, I notice that I've gained 50 pounds, Wow! which was hard for me to stomach because I always thought of myself as an athlete. I was a great athlete in high school. Mm -hmm. I had anxiety. I had high blood pressure. I had constant fatigue that I basically was effectively medically treating it with coffee and with Red Bull. Mm -hmm. And now there's nothing wrong with coffee. We are both fans of coffee. I got mine right here. Okay. <laughs> we, we, we both, we, we, every time we talk, we both have our coffee cups. <laughs> Cheers. So there's nothing wrong with coffee, but I mean, I was taking it a little bit too far when you're talking about like 60 ounces of coffee a day. And, you know, <laughs> Buzzing. I mean, right. And, and, and then having energy drinks on top of that. And, oh. and, and honestly, also my self-esteem was very well. And, and many people would actually look, it was kind of a funny paradoxical thing because to the outsider, they would look and they would go, but Will, you are publishing papers in the top gastroenterology journals with the leading scientists in America. You're the chief medical resident at Northwestern. Northwestern paid for you to get a master's of clinical research. They paid for it for you. Why are you feeling like your self-esteem is low? And the answer is, I felt miserable. Mm. I felt like I was 60 years old. And there was no professional success that would pull me out of that hole that I was in. And I needed a way out. But my traditional medical training, as great as it was, didn't show me a way out. I didn't know a path. And I tried exercising my way out of it, Mm -hmm. thinking I'm an athlete, I'm a hard worker, that's what I'm going to do. And six days a week, 
I was lifting weights. I was running five to 10 K or jumping in the pool for a hundred laps. I was doing that six days a week mm. and I just couldn't lose the weight. I just couldn't lose the weight. Nothing, nothing would get me there. And then what really transformed my life is I met the person who is now my wife. See, it's always us girls. You guys are so much smarter than us. I tell you. <laughs> I mean, look, the, the, you're clearly the superior gender. I will, I will readily acknowledge that right now. <laughs> we're, we're just goofy, but the, but the beauty of men is that we're so simple. We like food. We like sports. We're, we're basic things. You know? Exactly. There's no complexity up here. Uh, no, not at all. No, that's, that's just that's such a silly, silly thing that we always say, isn't it? But it's it, it's so it's so lovely to joke about it. But it's, it's yeah. kind of true. It's kind of true. <laughs> but anyway, there's always some truth in those things. But yeah. So I met the person who would become my wife, and we started to date, and we would go out to dinner, and you know, for me, I was like, okay, what am I going to get? It's the usual stuff that I'm used to getting. It's the way I've always eaten. And my wife would go, well. I know this is not on the menu, but she would say it to the, the waiter. She's like, can you just have the chef like take a bunch of the plant-based sides and arrange them nicely on a plate? Give me a plant plate. And I saw her eating this way and I thought to myself, she's eating without restriction. She's eating as much as she wants. She has mm-hmm. complete control over her weight. She looks amazing. And I'm over here slogging out you know, 90 minutes of exercise a day six days a week, and I can't mm-hmm. get control of my weight. So it opened up my mind to the possibility mm-hmm. of diet. And it started like a, a baby's first step. I have to interrupt you for one second. Now, this is so interesting, and I have to highlight this. You are a medical doctor, a GI specialist. When you met your wife, you were already trained. You were already had graduated as a, you were fully functioning GI doctor at that point. Is that correct? I was at, I was near the end of my GI training, end. so I was effectively uh, you know I was almost there. Yeah, but you had learned about the gut, and oh, yeah. you had exactly. So here's the interesting thing: you, with your knowledge, you were eating badly. Now, isn't that an interesting paradox? I know you're going to touch on this. So many doctors do. Exactly, so I know. Doctors, the the number one cause of death among cardiologists is heart disease. Gosh, that's, that's crazy! Yeah, I didn't know really that. Sad. Yeah, it's really sad. So. Yeah, no, I, I, my diet was horrible and mm-hmm. it opened my mind. Like, you know, it's not that I thought my diet was great. It's that I had always eaten this way. It's the way that I was raised to eat. How come this is a problem all of a sudden? Mm-hmm. Why is this the problem? And so it opened my mind and it's like a baby's first step. The first time I knew that I was moving in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Instead of going to the fast food joint for a burger, fries, and a chili cheese dog, I went home and I made a smoothie. Greens, berries, bananas, and some seeds. That's it. It was like 35 ounces. I drank it. I felt full, satiated. I felt energized. I went to the gym an hour later and smashed out a great workout. There was no hangover. And it brought me back to do it again. It was not a radical transformation for me. You know, one of the big things for me, Caroline, is that I want to talk to the person who's sitting in the position that I was just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So for your listeners at home who follow the standard American diet, there's no shame. That was me. That was me. Mm-hmm. But at some point, I want to help you get that first step. I want to meet you where you are mm-hmm. and help you get that first step in a direction that's going to lead you to better health. Mm. And this is not about being absolute. I never turned into something absolute, like out of nowhere, to me, it was a process. And so I acknowledge for each of us, we are walking a path. And I want to help to get you pointed, get your compass mm-hmm. pointed in, in, the, in the direction of the path where fitness and health become effortless. They become natural. They become enjoyable. They become addictive. That's mm-hmm. where I want. And that's what my book is about. I love that. That's like the best intro you could give because you've come in from an angle of that your own experience and how the exercise, which we know goes, is it helps with fighting depression and anxiety. You had purpose and meaning, you had success, you had qualifications, etc. But you were still feeling anxious and depressed, and you were self esteem. So you needed the last piece of the puzzle. So it goes to that whole integrated person, doesn't it? You know, you can't just do and you can't cherry pick what you're going to work on. And you had to make some mind decisions, didn't you, to to make that shift? 
because obviously it's impacted you so much that you've now transformed this into a lifestyle and a book. And this is how you're helping so many of your patients now to make these things good habits, get out of the mad modern American mad diet and get into a healthy way of creating a healthy internal environment. Yeah. And that, so I, I became so transformed by what was happening with my own body. I mean, the weight was just melting off of me. But you know, at the end of the mm-hmm. day, and as we said from the very beginning, I am a man of science. Mm-hmm. The science is not there. I am not on board. I will not mm-hmm. be. And so when I turned to the science, I thought that I would find you know 10 studies that say nutrition matters. And instead, I found thousands. And I asked the question, why was I not taught this in medical school? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't make sense, does it? No, it doesn't make sense. And it's very frustrating and that clearly needs to change. And I I do think that what you see, some of the trends that are occurring out there, Caroline, I don't know how Mm -hmm. how closely you follow this kind of stuff, but in medicine, there's a new organization called the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. Mm -hmm. I do. uh, Mm -hmm. And there's also the functional medicine movement. Mm -hmm. And two things, although not exactly identical, are running in a similar fashion towards diet and lifestyle matter. You know, well, I'm, I, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I've actually worked with physicians for years. I used to, back in South Africa, used to do a lot of training with physicians, but in mind because of that being my speciality. And it always amazed me because they would always, you, you couldn't not talk a little bit about diet when you talk about mind. I mean, it's integrated spiritual body. And it would it, it fascinate me that here people go, First line of, the, of, of, if someone's feeling terrible physically or mentally, they go straight to the primary care physician. That's the first avenue. So they're going for help with mind and diet, which is very often the first. These are also obviously the physical things, but those are your first line of talk. But no, the doctors aren't trained in that. So I used to train doctors in, and still now today, that's what I do, physician training, training in mind and mental health and that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking that should, that's a huge part of, I work with teams of doctors, as you know, and that's such a vital part. And it's, so it's your, you, the exceptional doctors like yourselves that are stepping out there, that are becoming the lifestyle doctors, that are becoming the functional medicine doctors that are saying, hey, we have to incorporate, we can't just look at the biology. We can't be so reductionistic. You've got to look at the whole person. So I'm glad you mentioned it. And I'm so excited now about the, you know, the fact that the functional medicine and lifestyle medicine is actually now becoming an accepted, important way of living. It's very rapidly growing. And it's the young doctors who are basically saying, look, I see my patient and I know that their problem is not really being fixed with pills and procedures. You know, It's the doctor who looks at their patient and understands that just 20% of disease is actually genetically motivated. What does that mean? That's actually a statement of empowerment. 80% 80 of whether or not you ever develop a disease during your lifetime is in your control. And it's diet and lifestyle that are the driving factors. If you look at the top 10 causes of death in the United States, you know, some of them are things like accidents. Okay. So that's not lifestyle. That's an accident. But mm-hmm. seven of the ten top ten causes of death in the United States are directly related to diet. To lifestyle. lifestyle. Yeah. And so it, if you have something that is the root of the problem and you ignore the root of the problem and you instead try to cover it up with pills and procedures, you're never actually going to fix the problem. Exactly. Exactly. I love what you just said because it's like the book that I'm just finishing at the moment deals with the mind management behind that. So like we, it's, it's such a good team. That's why you're on my scientific advisory board because you're seeing that we've got a lifestyle diseases are what are killing people. The lifestyle trend is reversed. It's going backwards. People are dying younger than for the first time in decades because of lifestyle diseases. And this is, so this takes me to my next question, which is all kind of just flowing from what we're saying. We've got to get into disease disease prevention and not disease management and the, the healthcare system i know this is a, this is something you like to talk about so take oh that, gosh, yeah. take, take that away because you really <laughs> with your book i think you're really trying to address disease prevention as opposed to just pure disease management all right so part of my book is making the argument to people and and frankly i i want medical doctors to read my book yes i want medical doctors to download the 600 references from my book and check them out right because then I'm opening their mind in the same way that my wife helped me to open up my mind. But you know, any sort of institution, it starts with good intentions and it starts from the right place. But as it evolves, it can reach a point where it really requires revision. Mm. It really requires you to take a step back and say, we got to fix this because this is not mm-hmm. working the way we want it to or need it to. 
in 2020. Mm. And you think about American healthcare, and there's there's there are definitely some things that I love about American healthcare. What we do exceedingly well is acute illness. All right, acute mm-hmm. illness. If you are acutely ill and you land in the hospital, we have probably the best healthcare system in the planet in terms of dealing with that specific scenario. What we do horribly unwell is prevention and chronic disease management mm. because we ignore the root cause. And I think this is my theory. And by the way, this is not in the book. So I'm giving a fresh angle <laughs> to oh, your listeners. This, this is, this is they're used to this because I talk about this kind of thing a lot. So they're going to be very receptive to what you're going to say now. All right. Tell me what you think about this idea. I, I think that this is the issue. We come back from World War II, mm-hmm. right? And, and it was like a recentering for a lot of countries, all the countries that were involved in World War II. You came back and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. what are we going to do now? And what we had just discovered is that penicillin is the greatest breakthrough in the last 100 years of medicine. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that in the last 50 years as big as this. Mm-hmm. Adding more years of life expectancy and you go, oh my gosh, these pills couldn't really transform our health. Mm-hmm. And that was for 1950. That was such a novel, interesting, exciting idea. And so it makes sense that we would double and triple and quadruple down on that idea. Yes. And invest into pharmacologic development. And there was a period of tremendous, you know, drug development. Mm. And that's what we ended up basically building our healthcare industry on. Mm. But the problem is we ignored the foundation. Mm. We ignored the foundation of health, which is diet and lifestyle. Mm. So it tipped the scales tipped instead of keeping a nice balance. It all went very much reductionistic in terms of the very much a biomedical model. It became a biomedical model where it's like we need to put all of our chips into drug development and into procedural development. And you know that other stuff is just not at that yeah. interesting. Right? Yeah, yeah, and that is important. And that's important, but now here we are, and we're living, you know, on average to be about 80 years in the United States. So we're living longer, but what we're sacrificing is because we have not taken care of diet and lifestyle, although we can keep people propped up with pills and procedures and keep them mm-hmm. alive. It's quality. Not quality. But then our youth, so exactly the thing, then, but then our youth are dying. So the 25 to 64 year olds are the age group that are dropping dead in their prime. And that age bracket specifically has been affected by this reversal. It has been picked up by the population studies Mm -hmm. and the reversal of trends of people living shorter lives. So we've got this paradox happening, two things happening at the same time, older people living longer, but not quality and people in their prime dropping down dead from lifestyle diseases. So the increase of people's lifespan has reversed. So there's this weird thing going on and, and and it's tracked back to what you've just said in this whole discussion so far, what we've been talking about, lifestyle. And, and one of the things that needs to be included in this conversation, Caroline, particularly given what you do for a living, one of the things that we need to include is that some of these young people are dying of suicide. Yes. And it's because of mood disturbance. And it's and that mood mm. disturbance, you know, how many people suffer with anxiety and depression? Look, mm. I was there. Mm. That was me. How many people suffer with these things and feel compelled to, you know, take medications or and then the ones who don't, sometimes they treat it with alcohol. And, you know, there's mm. a lot of people that are hurting mm. and we need to heal them. Exactly. Exactly. Lately, I have been finding it hard to motivate myself to work out and be more active, especially as I work on finishing my new book on a tight deadline. But I recently discovered a hack that actually makes me excited to work out and go for long walks. So what is it? Well, I love listening to audiobooks on Blinkist. Blinkist is an app that takes the best key takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of non-fiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed non-fiction books. All the books you want and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Dr. Leaf. Try it free for seven days and save 25% of your new subscription. That's Blinkist spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash Dr. Leaf to start 
your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash Dr. Leaf. The link and offer details will also be in the show notes. And there's such a direct link between, now I'm stepping totally in your lane and you can take over from here, but it's a direct link between the, the enteric nervous system, the brain and the guts, the feedback loop, and that's that's your world. And, and how does that relate to, how, what are you teaching us in the book? So Let's talk about the brain gut. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about the brain gut because it's fascinating. You know, if you go back 15 years, it, we just dismissed the gut. Like, who cares about that? That's, that's yeah, cool, right? <laughs> and, yeah. That's what it was. And, and now what we've discovered is that if you ask a doctor, who is your brain's best friend? The answer is the gut. Yeah. They are the most intertwined organs that exist. And they're like, you know, teenagers who are on the phone all day with each other because they're constantly talking to each other. Literally yeah. right now, every single person listening to this podcast, your gut is talking to your brain and your brain is talking Don't to your gut. gut. And there's a number of ways that they're able to do this. Your gut, your, I'm sorry, your brain can activate signals through the vagus nerve, can turn on hormones, can release hormones from the pituitary gland. And can also activate our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. And all of these Mm. things can affect digestion and gut function. And believe it or not, and this is like, to me, even as a GI doctor, I'm like, whoa, that's that's crazy. Your your brain, your mood affects your microbiome. The release of CRF, the release of stress hormones. Mm can alter the gut microbiome to a disadvantageous place. Mm. And when people relieve their stress, whether it be through meditation practice or finding their calm or or honestly, or reading the Bible, Mm -hmm. people are able to reduce the release of these stress hormones and it actually improves their gut and their digestive function. And I often say, and this is, you know, a topic that I, I, I do include in the book, but I actually take a deeper dive in my course that I'm developing. I do say that, you know, you can eat well, you can sleep, you can exercise, you can do all those things. But if your mind is not in the right place, you're not going to really heal your gut. Now we're talking about, now we're talking my language too. You can't, you can't, it's your first step. So if your mind's not right, you're not going to make the decision to eat the right food. You're not even going to get the benefit. I mean, well, there's all the, the, the gut brain connection. You can lose up to 80% of nutrition just if you're in a bad mood. So you can be eating that real food that's got no chemicals and not processed, and, but you're in a, you're anxious or you're jealous or you whatever, irritated. You're going to, your pancreas won't work. This won't work. Think you, you've got that whole cycle being set up. Isn't that, you know, that's the whole point of the gut brain connection we need to realize mind is driving digestive function driving everything. mind is driving digestive function and then the yeah. reverse is also true which is that your gut is in constant communication with your brain exactly the gut has is literally carpeted with nerves there are 500 million nerves 500 million in the gut that's a lot that's more than in the spinal cord isn't it five times more mm-hmm. thanks for sending me up on that one i appreciate <laughs> that <laughs> so there are five times more nerves in the, in the gut than there are in the spinal cord. And these nerves are all, I mean, it's amazing to think that right now there are 500 million nerves inside of you collecting information mm-hmm. and then wiring it upstairs to the brain through, once again, the vagus nerve. Yeah. And so not only that, but also neurotransmitters. Mm-hmm. 90% serotonin is the happy hormone. Serotonin controls our mood our energy, our focus, and 90% of serotonin is produced in the gut. Gut. It's, incre- it's incredible. A lot of people aren't, don't realize that, that it's, you, know, you think in your serotonin brain, it's your gut 90, up to 90, 95% you're saying. It's like... Because it affects motility. Because mm-hmm. serotonin is not just our mood. Serotonin is also our digestive function. And mm-hmm. so once again, you affect serotonin, you affect both mood and digest- mm-hmm. dig- digestive mm-hmm. function. And huh, let me, hold on a sec. That makes me think a little bit. That Mm -hmm. sounds an awful lot like irritable bowel syndrome. Exactly. And the problem is, and I kind of talk about this a little bit in my book, that 20 years ago, and then frankly, the outdated modern doctor would say that people that have irritable bowel syndrome are neurotic. 
Okay. And they say it in an almost derogatory way, like it's all in your head and there's something, you know, crazy. Like and it's, it's like, their fault. Yeah, like it's their fault and they just sort right. of dismissed as, you know, get yourself right. together kind of thing, which is terrible. It's terrible. When in fact, there's actually a completely physiologic explanation for mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. which is that 90% of your serotonin is produced in your gut, completely mm-hmm. intertwined with your microbiome. When you damage the microbiome, you affect serotonin balance within the body, which affects motility which gives you either diarrhea or constipation mm-hmm. and it affects mood and it exactly. can create neuroticism. And, and, then, and then there's the whole connection with nothing works in isolation. So from serotonin, it affects every other neurotransmitter and then your endocrine system and you know, you're right down to your everything, every single system of your body becomes impacted, doesn't it? It's not an isolated little pocket. We've got to stop seeing ourselves as separate. It's all intertwined. And, you know, so you, you are a brain researcher and I am a gastroenterologist. But yet we can't look at ourselves as being individual. What we need to do is we need to find that common ground because that's really where the money is at from human health. Exactly. And that's what we're doing. That's why that's why Dr. Will is on my on my scientific advisory board, why we're doing research together to try and show people how to manage mind, physical health, disease prevention as opposed to disease management. So I'm very excited where this is going to go in the future. And you said something that was very important because you just described the gut as being an endocrine organ. And it is. The gut is an endocrine organ, meaning that it's involved in hormonal balance. And it's the largest, you know, this is as as much of an endocrine organ as the ovaries and the testicles. Exactly. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. Yep. And then the last thing so your gut can produce hormones, your gut produces 30 neurotransmitters, 90% of serotonin, 50% of dopamine. But then perhaps the most exciting thing that your gut does is it produces postbiotics, which most people have never heard of. Mm-mm. But I'm here to tell you guys, you need to learn about postbiotics. And this mm. is a big thing that, that, that is in my book. Prebiotics are things like fiber. Mm-hmm. Probiotics are the bacteria. Mm-hmm. Postbiotics is what happens when you combine prebiotics and probiotics. Love when it. you combine the things, they, they produce it. And now it, let me make let me give you an example, like an analogy, Dr. Carolyn. You go to a beautiful French restaurant, mm-hmm. right? World class, five stars. All organic. Have, all organic. <laughs> they have the famous chef. They have the locally sourced beautiful ingredients. Okay, yeah. look, I love the ingredients. I love the chef, but I'm there for the food. Exactly. I want the meal. The meal is what really matters. You can have a great chef and you can have beautiful ingredients, but if you don't combine the two to make the delicious meal, what's the point? Exactly. With our body, you could talk about prebiotics like fiber. You Mm -hmm. could talk about probiotics and healthy bacteria. Mm -hmm. But really what actually matters is not either of those individually. What really matters is when you combine the two of them, magic happens and you create these postbiotics like short chain fatty acids. Mm, Virgin fatty acids are produced from fiber when they meet our microbes. They're, by the way, and it's an entire chapter in my book. And I really feel like I could write another probably 80 pages about these. But it would have been been too much. (laughs) It's volume two. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But no, I could, could, I'm not exaggerating, Dr. Carolina. I I could literally write an entire chapter about postbiotic short chain fatty acids. Wow. Like butyrate, acetate, and propionate that come from fiber. And look, number one, I want people to know they heal the gut. Okay. They heal the gut. Damage mm-hmm. to the gut gets reversed when you get more of these short chain fatty acids. Mm-hmm. But for you, what's important is that they jump onto the vascular highway. They get into our bloodstream mm-hmm. and they get pumped upstairs, up north to the brain. All right. So they are way far removed from the gut. And Here's the beautiful thing. The person who's listened to this that's had brain fog. Brain fog, I, I honestly mm. believe, is due to damage to the blood-brain barrier. Mm, oh, for sure. I totally agree with you there. And that it's become leaky. Mm. And these short-chain fatty acids, which repair leaky gut... Can repair the blood-brain barrier. They repair leaky brain. Wow, that's amazing. Because it has to do with the tight junctions coming back ah. together. And so the short-chain fatty acids, which repair tight junctions in the gut, they also repair tight junctions in the mm-hmm. brain. The blood-brain barrier 
is very similar to the brain, I'm sorry, to the blood gut barrier. They're very similar. Wow, that's incredible. So, and they, they can affect our memory, our focus, our, our mood. And, you know, consider this for a minute. The drug companies, I can't even tell you how much money, if I said to the drug companies, hey, I got an idea that will prevent Alzheimer's disease, they'd say, we will give you a billion dollars. Yeah. Right yeah. Okay. And so it's funny because they're trying to figure out how to prevent Alzheimer's. Well, we already have studies that show that butyrate crosses the blood-brain barrier and prevents the formation of beta amyloid plaques uh, yeah. associated with Alzheimer's. Exactly. And those beta amyloid plaques have increased tremendously. I mean, I'm just jumping ahead here, but you linked it to, to the Alzheimer's for my research. I mean, this is from brain, sort of the brain side, that if the modern American diet stimulates an excess of those to get into the blood and, and they basically break down the blood-brain barrier. So, and that's an issue that, We've got to deal with. So you need them, but you don't need them in the excessive amounts that will be stimulated through the wrong kind of diet from That's right. hitting yeah, your you gut. Don't, you don't need the hyperaccumulation of the beta mm-hmm. amyloid plaques mm-hmm. because basically what that does is it, it causes your brain to age rapidly. Exactly. So we need very little beta amyloid, but you need some of it. But the modern American diet exacerbates that and messes it up. And then you've got this pounding of the blood-brain barrier. So glad you brought this up. And it's not a coincidence that the modern American diet exacerbates this because you could make arguments about what it is about the diet. You could say it's this or it's that, but I would make the argument that it's the absence of something mm-hmm. as opposed to the presence of other things. I think that it's the absence of fiber. The average person mm-hmm. in the United States is only getting about 15 grams of fiber. To put that into perspective, number one, the recommended daily amount is 25 for women and 38 for men. Wow. We are falling short. 97% of us, 97% are not meeting those marks. That's crazy. But if you compare it to native tribal people, so for example, going back to your home continent, mm-hmm. we go to Tanzania. Mm-hmm. Where my yeah. husband was born. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So they have this tribe that you, I'm sure you, you've heard of, the Hadza. Mm-hmm. And the Hadza live a pre-agrarian lifestyle, meaning that they are living as hunters and gatherers, like the way that we did during Paleolithic mm-hmm. times. They don't, they don't farm. And if, when they study the Hadza, they discover that they eat more than 100 grams of fiber per day. Wow. Mm-hmm. They're not vegan. They're, not, you know, they're, they're living off the land. Mm-hmm. What the ecosystem provides and what the ecosystem provides is 100 grams of fiber per day from 600 different varieties of plants. Wow. Can you imagine putting 100 grams of fiber in the average person's diet in America? <laughs> well, you would completely overwhelm them if you did yeah. that all at once. So, you know, the yeah. thing about fiber is, and I want people at home to know this, that I am advocating for us to follow a path with more fiber, but it needs to be a path that takes time and you ease and adapt your body. Mm. You don't just do it overnight. You start to ramp up. And I like to think of it like this. It's exercise. You got to exercise your gut. Treat your gut like it's a muscle. I mean, people say this about the brain too. Mm-hmm. It is, right? yeah. yeah. So when you exercise your brain, it helps to maintain cognitive function. Mm-hmm. The same is true with the gut. When you exercise your gut by eating a wide diversity of plants, Mm. You are able to maintain the ability of your gut to process and digest that wide diversity of plants. And when you start to do eliminations, particularly when you do like a categorical elimination, then you will struggle if you try to reintroduce that food in the future. Wow. So you explain all that in the book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's very well explained in the book because to me, there's one golden rule. And this comes from actually, as I said before, I'm a nerd. I'm a man of science. And there's one golden Join the rule. Club. Yeah, high five. <laughs> it, this comes from the American Gut Project. The American Gut Project is the, the most well-positioned study that we have in 2020 to allow us to correlate diet and lifestyle to the health of our microbiome. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it's not just American. There's over 150 countries that are represented in this study. Wow. And when That's they analyze great. Yeah, it's fantastic. And when they analyze this global research project, and they ask the question, what is the, what is the single greatest predictor of a healthy gut microbiome? And the answer that came out of the equation was the diversity of plants in your diet. Mm. So I don't, you know, let me say this. There are a lot of different ways to eat a healthy diet. Yeah, they are. 
There's not just one way. But the key here is this. Every single plant has a unique mix of fiber that will feed a unique mix of bacteria in your gut. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you take, you know, a black bean, a black bean feeds specific bacteria that thrive and multiply and grow, and they will basically heal you when you feed them. If you take the black bean away, those same bacteria that were thriving are now starving and receding and they're growing weaker. They are as alive as you and I are. They need mm. food just like we need food. So when we eat a wide diversity of plants, we are supporting as many different species of bacteria as we possibly can. Mm. No matter what dietary preference, I, don't, like, I, don't, I really don't care what dietary preference you follow. I just want you to follow this idea. Ah, it's one idea. Okay, I love it. So, so you're not saying only eat plants or whatever you're saying, just make sure that the plants that are in your diet are a wide variety so that you can get access to the wide variety of fibers that feed the wide variety of bacteria in our gut. I believe, I believe that there is a path to better health through a plant-predominant diet. Mm -hmm. Okay. There is too much study, too much data to back up the health benefits of a plant-predominant diet. But there is not only one form of a plant-predominant diet that is healthy. And so there are many ways that you can do this. You can follow a paleo diet and be my guest. And there is a lot about the paleolithic diet that I think is lovely. You know, I love that you get rid of processed foods. I love that you get rid That's of dairy. That's the big thing. Yeah. Right. But, but for me, I want to make sure that you observe this piece that's so critical to the health of your microbiome, which is the diversity of plants in your diet, no matter who you are. And so you can do ketoterian because keto, I mean, we live a keto life, but we bring in ketoterian. So we bring in a variety of plants because that's a big thing at the moment. As you know, keto is the big thing at the moment. And so, but you, the, the, you're not telling people don't eat keto or don't eat paleo, but you're just saying, make sure that you bring in the variety of plants that make sure that you get access to all those fibers to feed your bacteria. I feel correct? like no matter what, no matter what sort of diet you, you ascribe to, that this is a simple idea mm-hmm. that is scientifically validated that you can, it's so easy to, when you go to the supermarket or when you prepare dinner to do this, let me give you a quick example. Okay. We're a normal family. Okay. No matter what you see on my Instagram account, not, <laughs> I was just going to say, what's normal? Well, <laughs> yeah. Not every fam, not, not every meal is a gourmet meal in my house. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes you need something quick and easy. So how about, how about pasta and tomato sauce? Okay. So we will do an organic whole wheat pasta and tomato sauce. That's two plants. Darn it. Yeah. Not doing too great with that. Okay. It is so easy to take that sauce, drop in some onions. Mm-hmm. Drop in some garlic, mm-hmm. some mushrooms, mm-hmm. zucchini, pick carrots, the green, mm-hmm. carrots, green, greens like spinach, kale. Okay, let it simmer. Everyone is excited because they can smell the sauce. It's smelling fantastic. It's filling up the house with pleasant smells. And then you go and you pour that sauce over that spaghetti or that pasta, and you smash some basil and some parsley on top. All right, number one you have made a much more delicious meal. Mm-hmm. Us talking about it right now, I'm starting to hungry. I'm just going to say yeah. being hungry now. <laughs> exactly. Number two, you have made this far more nutritious. And number three, your gut microbiome is downstairs dancing a jig. They're fed- dancing on tables. Right. Because you have fed them. You have mm. fed your microbes. And that, that simple choice to throw a couple plants into that tomato sauce did not require any effort, but it led to huge results in terms of the health and balance of your gut microbiome. And you will reap the reward of that. Mm, I love that. Okay. So now I've got an, I'm half Italian and you grew up in Italy with, well, I didn't grow up in Italy, but my dad was so Italian. So we grew up with a lot of pasta and, but we loved our bolognese. So adding some organic grass-fed wild whatever it's ground beef are you happy with that in your diet or is that entirely up to the person because i know we're going to get people asking are you advocating plant only or if so because certain people really battle with plant only and i think there's by individuality what is your take on that well i and i think that that is a fair question 
Because so, I want to sneak some ground beef in there. I want to make that sauce, but I want you to sneak some ground beef in there too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so I think this is a fair question. Here's, yeah. here's what I would say. I personally am thriving on a 100% whole food plant-based diet. Okay. So I, I personally am not opting for the ground beef anymore. Mm-hmm. I've taken it out of my diet. Do I think that you can have ground beef in your diet and be healthy? The answer is yes. Okay. So th- what I write in the book is that I want to meet you where you are. Mm, that's great. I and love I'm talking, it. you know, truly, because you have a healthy diet, Dr. Caroline, mm-hmm. but I'm really talking to the person who's eating the way that I eat. Yeah. The modern American diet, the mad sad, sad, the mad, mad. sad, which was five, I was five to 10% plant-based, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to take that five to 10% plant-based and I want to move that mm-hmm. person to 30. And when they go to 30, I am jumping up and down with joy. That's great. Yeah. So they're going up a little bit there. And mm-hmm. then they go to 50 and then I'm your, like, I am just going crazy on the sideline. You know what I mean? And I, I just want to move that person. And what I yeah. write in the book is that if you get to a place where you are 90% plant-based, you can literally eat whatever you want. As far as I'm concerned, eat what you enjoy. And there's a lot of different ways. I completely accept and recognize that are, there are some people who feel better when they are not eating a 100% whole food plant-based diet. Mm-hmm. And I understand. And I understand that. And that's okay. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. The, the, yeah. the blue zones yeah. are the five places where people live the longest throughout the world. I've interviewed Dan Butner, so I've got a podcast on that. So people can, I'm so glad you brought that up. So they can go, I know, great. So you can go check out that podcast on the the Blue Zones and you'll hear what Dr. Will's saying. Yeah. So these five places, just to rattle them off real quick, it's it's Okinawa, Japan. It's Ikaria, Greece. Sardinia, off the coast of Italy. Two two Mediterranean places. Mm -hmm. It's the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. And my favorite one. It's Loma Linda, California, right here yeah. in the United States. Exactly. And these five places, when you look at them, they are all culturally distinct. Mm-hmm. They have their own way of to do the, to doing this. They're not eating the same diet, but they're all eating a plant predominant diet. They're all ninety percent plant based. Very few of them are actually one hundred percent plant based. So they're, but they are all 90% plant-based in their own way and they're all thriving. And so that's why for this reason, this is where in my book, I felt compelled to say, look, no matter who you are, I want to meet you where you are. I mm-hmm. want to move you in this direction. But if you get yourself to 90% and you want to have the ground beef in your pasta, I don't have a problem with that. Exactly. Really so you've got some basic principles that makes a lot of sense. And you lay that out beautifully in your book as well. So th- I love that. That That's really, it's, it's a principle that you can apply. You're going to meet them where they're at, but you have to deal with the basics. It's really fiber is, I love the prebiotics plus the probiotics gives you the postbiotics and yeah. that's your, and it's building, it's the blood brain barrier, the le- so the leaky brain, leaky gut, brilliant. And you explain that beautifully in the book. Yeah. I've spent over 30 years researching how memory and habit formation works in the brain and know just how hard building new healthy habits can be, especially if you try to go alone without proper resources and guidance. That's why I love Noom. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do, and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Noom is not a diet. It's a healthy and easy to stick to way of life. Community is also vital for habit change and habit formation. And I love that Noom offers you the opportunity to chat with a goal specialist and gives you access to the Noom community where you can get and give help to people going through the same things. You don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make a big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom, N-O-O-M dot com forward slash Dr. Leaf. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com forward slash Dr. Leaf to start your trial today. That's N-O-O-M dot com forward slash Dr. Leaf. The link and offer details will also be in the show notes. I want to transition to a question on sensitivities, food sensitivities. So why is it such a major problem? And how does one identify sensitivities and how does one reintroduce foods back in safety? So this is such an important question because people are suffering. And there are a lot of people with food sensitivities and it's far more common and prevalent Mm. today than it was 10 years ago. Mm. And the question is, where is this coming from? And let me share the answer. Okay. 
Love it. Thank you. We big, strong humans, you and I, Dr. Caroline, we only have 17 of these enzymes called glycoside hydrolases, which are the digestive enzymes that we need to break down plant polysaccharides and fiber. We only have 17. Now that is a pathetically small number because let me tell you, invisible microbes that are here on the tip of my finger right now could have hundreds of these enzymes. Wow. When they analyze our microbiome, they estimate that our microbiome has 60,000 unique glycoside hydrolase enzymes. That's crazy. Yes. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So there's this, there's this, there's complexity to fiber. There are millions, if not billions of types of fiber that exist in nature. We needed a digestive system capable of evolving and adapting to our diet. As we mm-hmm. left Africa and radiated, radiated out across the globe and we entered into different ecosystems, mm-hmm. we needed ways to adapt to our diet. And so we outsourced to our gut microbiome because it can adapt and change very quickly. Mm. When you eat a food and you have a food sensitivity, it implies that you are lacking some of the necessary enzymes mm. properly process and unpack that food. Ah, It's not inflammation. It's sloppy digestion. Wow. And the key though, is that that doesn't mean that you're stuck. Mm-hmm. The gut microbiome is adaptable. It's like a muscle. You can train it and make it stronger. And the way that we train it, let's use black beans as an example and pretend that black beans are like me doing curls and lifting with my biceps. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if I, I, go- an, I, I have an image of a black bean. Lifting. Okay. The black bean is right here. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So you go to the gym and you lift three times more than you're capable of lifting, right? Mm -hmm. That's the equivalent of getting the four bean chili. And when you lift three Mm -hmm. times more than you're capable of lifting, you hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You you shouldn't be doing that. You ask for trouble because your body's not built for that, right? Exactly. You go to the gym and you know, gosh, I normally lift about 15 pounds. That's my normal weight. Mm-hmm. Okay. You reach for 15 pounds. Oh, wow. You're doing pretty well with 15 pounds. Guess what? You're ready to go up to 20 pounds 20. now. Yeah. Right? Exactly. So you exercise. That's the way that it works with your gut. Now, let's talk about the person who has a damaged gut. Mm-hmm. Because the person who has food sensitivity is the person who has a damaged gut. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they're, they're probably missing many of the enzymes that they need. They can mm-hmm. get them back. But you have to rehab the gut. So the damaged gut is similar to, oh man, I hurt my arm. They mm-hmm. had to put a cast on me. Mm-hmm. And I wore that cast for four months and then they took the okay. cast off and my arm is all shriveled up. Yeah. Right? Compared the to the other one. Right. So I don't have the ability to lift, I don't have the ability to lift 15 or 20 pounds anymore. Mm. So when I go to the gym now in this arm, I'm rehabbing it. There's two things. Number one, you have to do the amount that your body is capable of handling when you're rehabbing. So mm-hmm. that might be two and a half pounds or five pounds. And mm-hmm. that's where I have to start. And maybe someday I'll be back to 15, but first I got to start here. You got to start the baby. Yeah. That makes start so much well. sense. Okay. And, so th- and the second thing is when you're rehabbing, you know that there's going to be some pain. It mm-hmm. comes with the territory. It if comes I hurt my knee, yeah. If I hurt my knee, I could say, Hey, look, I hurt my knee. I don't want to feel that pain. I'm never going to walk again. I'm just never going to walk again. No one says that. No one would ever do that. You go, okay, look, I know this is going to hurt. I know this is not fun, but I have to rehab my knee. So that I keep walking. But you're not going to go around a marathon. Just to add to your little story there, my daughters, we've turned our our house into our dining room area into a gym with us over this COVID time because you normally do Orange Theory. And, but my two daughters that are here with me at the moment, I've got four kids, the others, who are in Seattle and New York. And so we they are super fit and I'm fit, but I'm not as fit as them. So we got this whole routine going. We use our stairs. We've got these three flights and we do these sprints. So I'm trying to keep up with my daughters. So I'm doing these sprints, but I think I've just overdone it and I pulled my hamstring. And it was, I really had the warnings were there like two days before when I was doing the whole stair run, I was really sore. So I'm just using this principle that I thought, okay, two days of rest, it's painful. I can go and do the sprint. So out we go, we do the sprints, fourth sprint, and I collapse on the floor. My hamstrings, uh, it was 
agony. So now it's four days in, I'm healing, but my temptation is to go and do sprints because I think that I can't. So this is a principle. I have to do uh, slowly, you know, start with a little bit of low impact cardio and build up slowly again. You know, so it's the same kind of principle. You, it's the same thing with memory. Some of the research that I've done just in this current clinical trial, it's not going to happen in one day, four days, even 21, it's going to take 63 days before you actually have a usable memory inside your brain. So it's the same thing with your gut. It's going to take time for the gut to change. So the principle of, is that basically what you're saying? I'm just elaborating on your example of the black bean doing gym. <laughs> 100%. If you, if you take a person who's recovering from a stroke, yeah. it takes time to regenerate the, ner the neurons necessary to get neurologic function back. Yeah, yeah. Right? It takes time. Mm -hmm. And there, and you, and people recognize that. And there's a patience that comes with that. When a person is recovering their gut, we need to acknowledge and have that same patience that's necessary to rehab the gut and get it back to where it used to be. Okay. I'm so glad you said that to have the patience because we do live in an era where it's, Hey, I've got a sore, sore gut. I've got this issue. Go to the doctor. Give me a tablet. It's not fixed yet, but you haven't changed your lifestyle or you haven't persisted with the treatment plan. Yes. Well, you talk about in your, in your book, fiber field in terms of reversing heart disease or in terms of helping with heart disease. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, fi so fiber is in, it comes back to the magic of short-chain fatty acids. They have mm -hmm. a number of metabolic effects. They actually help to lower our cholesterol, mm -hmm. right? restoring cholesterol balance the way that it should be. And they have a very strong anti-inflammatory effect. Mm. So when you think about heart disease, it's really the consummation of long-term inflammation that has led to the deposits in the arteries that surround the heart. And if you reduce that inflammation, what you're doing is you're either going to slow the development of that, or if you have the right sort of characteristics, you have the ability to actually reverse that and make it go backwards. Mm. And you know, what's fascinating to me is that there were studies that were done. The lifestyle heart trial was done by Dean Ornish back mm -hmm. in the 90s. Mm -hmm. Now, this was an extremely progressive idea. Mm. He treated people with a predominant, it was not 100%, but it was a predominantly plant-based diet with lifestyle and also with emotional intervention, meaning mm. that basically they had people that they were talking to and they mm. were meditations and things of that variety. Okay. So it's a, it's a comprehensive lifestyle program in the same way that here we are in 2020 and you and I are advocating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he was able to actually show in both one year and even more profoundly at five years, reversal of arteriosclerosis in people that have heart disease. And now here we are, and it's 2020, and we're the science. Like this, he did this. He did the trial. He did the study to show that the lifestyle works. But the question is, what is it? What is it about the study? What is it about this approach? And the more that you've studied the approach, the more that you realize that a major, major part of the reason that it worked back in the 90s is that we are altering our gut microbiome. You are altering mm. your gut microbiome through diet, through lifestyle. Mm, through that's the thing, you know, and. You know, Caroline, I should say one other thing that we are having this big conversation about diet and it is important. Don't get me wrong. It is important. But for the person who is suffering with food sensitivity, I want you to know that there are ways to heal your gut without lifting a fork. Okay. There are ways to heal your gut. It's not just diet. And one of the things that you can do beyond diet is to get the other stuff working in your favor. Mm. I'm talking about getting a good night's rest. You know mm -hmm. how important that is for brain health. Mm -hmm, totally. Getting your mind and, under control. Yep. Getting a good night's rest, going to bed early, circadian rhythm, circadian disruption is mm -hmm. one of the major problems of our modern lifestyle. Many of us are watching mm -hmm. television or using our phone or our tablet or our computer late at night. And that blue light is actually affecting melatonin levels, which are critical to having deep REM sleep. Mm. So going to bed early, turning off the, the tablet and the devices before you go to bed for ideally a couple of hours, having an early dinner, again, tapping into our circadian biology. Mm. And so we have an early dinner, like if you can, 5.30, 6. Mm -hmm. And then if you want to have dessert, like I have a sweet tooth. If you want to have a dessert, have yeah. your dessert and then make the rule, just water after dessert. Mm -hmm. Just water. Have a couple of hours of water fasting before you go to bed mm -hmm. so that you can carry that into the next day. And this can help to improve the gut microbiome 
and help uh, with the sensitivities and all those things, autoimmune, everything. Yeah. Time-restricted eating, you know, which is essentially what I'm referring to. Time-restricted eating is a form of intermittent fasting where you basically say, I'm going to have no food after dinner. I'm going to wait at least 12, if not 13 hours before I have any solid food. And it's actually easy to do because if you had dinner at 6, at 6 p.m., then 13 hours is 7 a.m. the next day. Exactly. So you could do it. It's not so hard. Yeah, you just need to cut out the midnight snacks. That's all. (laughs) Cut out the midnight snacks. And that's the thing, if you're staying up all night, which so many people do. I mean, I work, I'm guilty of working through the night with with, with my books because that just, it just works with, I've always been like that when I work, I like to work in those cocoons, but I go with my rhythm. So when I'm tired, I go to sleep. So some nights it's early, some nights it's late, but no snacking after a certain time. I'm very strict about that. So I'm so glad you brought that up. Well, there's so many more questions that I want to ask you, but do you mind if we transition over to wrap this up? We're going to have to have another interview because I haven't, I've got like 20 more questions and I haven't even asked him. You've fascinating. I love how you explain things. You've made so much sense. And I'm really excited for this book and highly recommend this book. But I just want to kind of wrap up with what are some health trends that are that are out there that you're excited about and some health trends that you may be concerned about in, in this massive wellness industry that we're now in? Well, health trends that I'm excited about, maybe it's gratuitous, maybe I'm out of line to do this, but I feel like we have an opportunity with this book that I've written, Fiber Fueled, to change the way that people live and think about their food and their gut. I feel like the opportunity is there. And so I I would love for this book to be the trend, honestly. I would love Mm -hmm. for diversity of plants to be a dominant hashtag on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I would love for people to think at every meal, whether you hear my voice or you don't hear my voice, at every meal, it pops into your head, diversity of plants. When you go to the supermarket, it pops into your head, diversity of plants. You're at the salad bar, diversity of plants. You know, it's such a simple tool that can be applied to any diet. Mm. So that to me is what I really hope. I really hope that we reverse the negative trend, which is that 97% of Americans are not getting enough fiber. Mm. And I feel like we, we have this tendency to gravitate. And I think it's a very human thing mm. to gravitate towards protein. And that's because protein is vital for life. It is. There's no, there's no debating that. Protein mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. vital for life. But I think in the process of gravitating towards it, we tend to overly fixate on it and overly do it in the United States. We're just mm. kind of pushing it a little too much. And you know, rather than asking the question, where am I going to get my protein from? Why don't we ask the question, I want short-chain fatty acids. Where am I going to get my fiber from? That's what mm. I want. Where am I going to okay. get my fiber from? Because I want to make sure start a new, postbiotics. Start a new language. We've got to get our short-chain fatty acids in. <laughs> yeah, we got to get our postbiotics. <laughs> there you go. We've got to get our postbiotics in. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then what about a last question? I was going to ask you this because this is a question we get asked a lot. What, what, what would you say to those people that are living in a food desert, which is a lot, lot of areas in terms of getting fiber in? Yeah. So, well, what I would say to these people is this. I would love a situation where your local supermarket was able to provide to you the entirety of what you need in terms of diversity of plants, in terms of organic produce, fruits, vegetables. We have a tendency when I use the word plant to automatically think fruits and vegetables. And when we do that, we're ignoring many of the perishable items that are easy to access, like seeds, Mm. nuts, whole grains, and legumes. And all of those things are things that can be acquired whether you live in a food desert or not, because you could Mm. order them off the internet and they're not perishable. Mm. And so I would encourage people to make sure that you are taking advantage of the items that are non-perishable. And then what I think is a beautiful thing, because it's so good for you on a health level, not just in terms of your nutrition, but in terms of your global wellness. Gardening is such a great hobby. Yeah, I was going to say Ron Finley, the gardener. I'm sure you've heard of Ron Finley, the turning yeah. the turning downtown Los Angeles into gardens and pavements and things. So yeah, garden. Right. So so creating gar- creating a garden is a way to engage with your food. It, it, they studies show that it helps you to actually enjoy your food even more. It's more satisfying when it comes from your own garden. You can create seasonal produce. It doesn't get fresher. It doesn't get safer. Mm. So you know, to me. The home garden is the most superior form of food that exists. 
Fantastic. And you can grow a garden in a little bag. I mean, if you haven't got, if you've got a balcony, you can take a little box and you can grow. So that's, well, that's really great. So it's, in, it is possible. Yeah. In my book, I talk about the health benefits of broccoli sprouts. Broccoli ah. sprouts are very high on a phytochemical called sulforaphane. And we have up to a hundred times more sulforaphane in broccoli sprouts than you have in mature broccoli, which is wow. amazing because this is amazing. great for the brain, great for the gut, prevents cancer. And so what I was going to say, Dr. Caroline, is that broccoli sprouts are so easy to grow. To grow. And in wow. my book, I give you the recipe for how to do it and you can do it on your own. And That's fantastic. That's fantastic. In five days, you can have your own broccoli sprouts growing in your backyard and you've got a huge, great addition to your diet. That's amazing. Well, you're amazing. Where can people find out more about you and about your book? So you can come find me at my website, which is theplantfedgut.com. I have a COVID-19 guide that's up right now. It's really I have, good. I also am having a research guide that will be up in the coming weeks. I'm sure by the time this podcast is released. And that research guide, it's by the way, it's all 600 references. That's great. But it also is, it's actually meant to give people the fundamentals of clinical research because people are so confused right now. Mm. So I want to show them, okay, I understand there's so much confusion. I understand there's so many opinions and voices. Here's how we can weed through all the noise to find truth. Very good. And so it's all written up. So that's the plantfedgut.com. I have also my Instagram and my Facebook, which are the Gut Health MD. You can find my book, Fiber Fueled. There you go. You can get it from all. I'm of waiting the for my copy. I've got it's the PDF. <laughs> We're gonna get it. We're gonna get it to you. It's gotta get there. I will be very. I will be very upset if that book doesn't get to you. Uh, I'll be too. Right now. Yes, <laughs> I'll be yelling at some people. But Fiber Fueled, it's available on all the traditional places, including Amazon and Barnes Noble. But here's what I want to say. You know, because of COVID nineteen, I want to support local bookstores because if we don't. They're not going to be there when the virus goes away exactly. in you know, mm-hmm. a period of time. So I would really encourage you guys, if you can, it's worth the extra effort to call up your local bookstore, have them, they can give you the receipt over the phone. You can pay on the phone and get your copy of Fiber Fueled Reserve. And it also helps to support them so that when COVID-19 is over and we're back to being our joyful selves, you can go yeah. into a bookstore on a rainy day, have a cup of coffee and flip through a couple of books. Maybe Fantastic. it's Dr. Caroline Leaf's book. Great. I love it. Fantastic. Well, we'll put all those details in the show notes as well. Thank you, Dr. Will. It's been a pleasure as usual. And I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you, Thank so, you so much. much. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com. And to sign up for my weekly newsletter, where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.